children have been inspiring to us all week long. They've sung uh, tremendously. They learned all the choreography. They were great. We had a number of heroes in the group. You know, uh, we had an offering as we do every year. Hey, Jameson. And uh, we pit the girls against the boys each year in Bible school just because it generates lots of interest from me and other people. And so this year, we wanted to raise enough money, $1,500, to send Caroline to Africa on a mission trip. Is Caroline in here? Are you here this morning, Caroline? Oh, there she is. Stand up again. There's Caroline Fontenot. And so she's going to go to Africa. And she'll be, she'll be going to uh, Accra, Ghana, and helping us with our work in a people group there that just don't know Jesus. And so she's excited about going. We made that goal. We covered the 1,500. And then when we got to the final count, it turned out that we went to the hallelujah goal of $2,000 for our vacation Bible school offering. Yeah, that was terrific. I never heard of an offering like that at Vacation Bible School. I know there must be somewhere where the offering is bigger than that, but in my experience, that's the biggest one since Robert Rakes first had his VBS in London, you know. I don't know of another one where we had 2000 given, and that was terrific, and that meant that both Taylor Rutland, who's also here somewhere, and Michelle Woodward, who just directed the choir, were going to have to eat insects. And that was the whole thing. So... Uh, Michelle was sort of prepping to get ready for the insect. And I tell you, she asked for a bucket and all that. Um, she thought she really didn't know if she could handle it or not. And a couple of times before she ate the bugs, she said, I love God. I love missions. I love Ghana. I love Caroline. And I can do this. So she was, she was telling herself the things that she loved. And when she got up to the final moment, she went through the litany. I love God. I love missions. I love Ghana. I love, I love Caroline. And I said, do you love bugs? She said, no, I don't love bugs. And then she took a handful of them, stuffed them in her mouth, <laughs> chewed them up. Well, the bugs were the bad part, all right? But she got through it fine. And as we come now to raise the praise in bad times, okay, praising God in bad times. It's not necessary for you to confess that you love the bugs, that you love the suffering, the pain, what causes you heartache. It's not necessary to love the bugs, but it is necessary to put your insects in the perspective of God's love and what he is doing in the world. And so what we're going to do this morning is read the most famous story in the Bible where people who are dramatically hurt, injured, and wounded lift praise to God in the midst of their pain. It's in Acts chapter 16. You've heard it before and maybe you've sung it before. It is the story of Paul and Silas in the jail at Philippi. They've been preaching the gospel in Philippi, having been called to go to Macedonia, clearly, by the Lord Jesus. Answering the Macedonian call, they end up in trouble in Philippi. A 
young slave girl begins to follow them everywhere they go, saying, these are the men who are servants of the Most High. They tell you the way of salvation. And every day and night she's following them, hollering these things. And Paul finally just gets annoyed with it and turns around and speaks to the spirit in her and tells that spirit to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 16. When the slave girl's owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Which he did that very night. And he and his household were baptized. Later when Paul will write the letter to Philippi that we call Philippians. He will talk about the joy of the Lord. In fact, when we traveled through the book of Philippians a couple summers ago in 12 different messages, the theme was joy. We took joyful pictures and displayed them in the lobby, trying to capture the spirit of Paul's epistle, which commands rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Let your rejoicing be made known to all men. It is a letter of joy written to the jailer and his friends in Philippi years later when the Apostle Paul is facing execution and surely believes that he is about to go meet Jesus face to face. Very possible that he would. And he wrote this letter from another prison to his friends in Philippi to encourage them to praise the Lord and rejoice in the Lord. The Apostle Paul is not making this turn toward joy at midnight in the prison. 
trying to deny that he's been beat. He's not, to avoid, not trying to avoid the truth of his wounds and his pain. Praise acknowledges the pain. We're not asking you to live in some false fabricated world where everything is happy and you go prancing down the path and you just ignore all the bad things around you. That's not the idea of praise. Praise acknowledges the pain. Many of the praises in the Bible begin by relating the kind of pain that the one who is praising is experiencing. In Psalm 13, you will see the how long psalm begins. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will your presence be gone? This is the beginning of Psalm 13, which ends with mighty praise to God in just six verses. It truly is a hymn of praise that gives the context in which the author struggles. And many of your praises will begin with, God, I'm in trouble. God, I'm hurting. I feel lonely. I'm discouraged. I'm perplexed. I'm confused. I've never felt so abandoned. We begin our praises in the bad times, often by facing the truth of our feelings and our circumstances, which are painful. But we do not allow the pain to dictate our spirit and heart. See, Pain is there, and praise acknowledges the pain, but it does not surrender to it. I'm talking not about the pain that passes in a minute or a second or even an hour. I'm not talking about the superficial pain that all of us have, the annoyances, the grievances that are ours. I'm talking about the pain that your mind and heart goes to when you think about the trouble that you're in. The pain perhaps of long standing that goes deeper than you ever dreamed pain could. That pain clamors for your attention. It wants your focus. If you allow it, that severest pain of mind and heart will collapse your life into itself. You can be, in fact, captured by your pain. It can become the focus of your mind, emotions, and spirit. If you let it. How do you keep from it? Praise. Praise is the remedy for the clamoring of pain in your life. It's the way that you address pain's desire to capture you. You praise the Lord. You recount your praise. You lay out the circumstances of your life and then you give 
God the praise that is due His name every single day. And as you praise the Lord, your focus turns from the pain that seeks to capture you to the God who has previously captured your heart. See, it's a way of liberating yourself from the drawing power of pain into the wonderful presence of the God who loves you. So if you feel like your pain is drawing you into itself and it's become the focus of your life, I hope that you will take this remedy deliberately, on purpose. Plan a new level of praise in your life that will liberate you from the captivation of trouble. Not only does pain seek to capture our focus, it seeks to shape our perspective on the world. Sometimes pain shouts so loudly at us that we start thinking the whole world is full of pain. And some of us might confess with one famous fellow, life is pain. Which could be true in a kind of way, but should not be true about our perspective on life. There is pain in life for sure, but life is much more than pain and trouble. And praise is the way you remind yourself every day. When your perspective is beginning to be shaped by pain and pulled into pain, you praise God so that you remember how life really is. The truth about the world, the truth about your life, your journey. God is great and He is good. He rules over all. He loves you unfailingly. This is true. And sometimes you forget it in your pain. Praise acknowledges pain but it does not surrender to it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Did you ever sing that? Surely goodness and mercy. How many of y'all remember that tune? Okay. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Little Philip was six years old, the man who wrote those words. When he went to school for the first time and met his most beautiful teacher, Miss Murphy, eyes of blue, red hair, petite little lady, the six-year-old immediately fell in love with his teacher. In 1844, they often taught the scriptures in school. And Miss Murphy taught her class the 23rd Psalm. And when little Philip heard the verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the day, he thought the verse said, surely good Miss Murphy shall follow me all the days of my life. And he leaped for joy thinking, Miss Murphy's going to be there all the days of my life. Philip Bliss later told his friends about this childhood experience. And a friend that he wrote 
songs with said that would make a good song. And so came about, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life from Miss Murphy, Philip Bliss's six-year-old teacher who inspired him to see the good times in a childhood full of poverty and deprivation. Praise acknowledges the pain, but it does not and will not surrender to it. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Something about singing at my father's bedside helped draw near that truth to our hearts. For four days, we blanketed that room and that house with praise. The songs were never sweeter than when we sang them there. And if we were overcome with emotion as my father was dying, Someone else would pick up the tune, and it went on for hours. We knew our father loved the music. He taught us all how to sing. But when we sang the promises of God as my father died, they had a new ring to them that I'd not heard before. You acknowledge the pain and you give God praise and even in the valley of the shadow there is a richness to the truth and the presence of God. It may be unsurpassed in all of life's experiences at the very depth of your greatest pain. God is there. His mercy, His goodness, His grace. Praise acknowledges pain but does not surrender to it. Praise surrenders to the will of God. Praise surrenders to the will of God. Psalm 21, 13. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. What is going on in the mind of Paul and Silas as they are sitting in that jail, beaten nearly to death? I'm sure they are thinking about, in part, that they are in Philippi only because Jesus said, come here. It was Paul in Bithynia on his way north who had the vision where a man from Macedonia said, come to Macedonia and help us. The Spirit of Jesus constrained them to make a turn right then, a dramatic right-angle turn, and go another direction. They received from God one of those rimas. The logos is the word always true in every circumstance. It's a universal truth of God. But sometimes the Greek word is 
Rima, that is translated word. And often it's a word for a specific moment in your life. It comes from God for, for your instruction at that moment, at that time. You couldn't look it up in the Bible, but God said to Paul, I want you to go to Macedonia. It was as certain as anything you'd ever heard from God. He and Silas packed up and they headed to Macedonia that very morning. Sitting now in the Macedonian jail. They know they are right where God sent them. Praise reminds you that God is in charge even when it looks like your life is disintegrating into chaos. Praise reminds you God is in charge even when you are confused and perplexed by your circumstances. You turning your face and heart toward God and saying, you are the mighty one who created me, who loves me, who sent the Savior. And committing your life again to him, it is the confession that you are walking the purposes of God, that he knows your path, he knows your ways, and you need this in the midst of your pain. This truth needs to be close to you. God has his purposes. And he's working them out in your life. And even though your feet may be in stalks and you cannot sleep at midnight because of the pain and you're sitting in the pool of your own blood, there is a confidence that comes to you. I am where God wants me to be. He asked me to come to this place. And so I'll rest in his sovereignty, his power, and his truth. Lord, blessed be your name. Even when I'm in the desert place, the words that we sang this morning, they did not come from some mountaintop. A mountaintop experience of some saint in the Bible. They came from the darkest, deepest, shadowy place there is in Scripture. These are the words of Job after he has lost his sons and lost his daughters and lost all his property and lost his health. It is at this moment that he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's true. Wherever you find yourself in the journey of life, you have not descended as far as Job. And you have sung today the words that are not just trivia on his lips. They are his heart. They are his foundation. It is where he has stood all his life. And when he got in trouble, he said, Lord... Blessed be your name. I trust you. What else are you going to do in your trouble? If you run away from God, where are you going? Where are you headed? If the sorrow has come like waves on your soul, what's your alternative? to praise.
we who have committed our lives to Christ, who have acknowledged him as Lord and Savior, we praise him in the tough times. Praise is our way of saying, God, you are in control. We enthrone him in our praises. The scripture says that God is enthroned in the praises of his people. We enthrone him. We put him on the throne emotionally, mentally, in our heart. We put him on the throne when we give him praise. Young people, when you show up in that dorm room and it's your first night in the dorm at the new campus, you give him praise. Maybe it's a tough day and you've tried to get registered and you looked around at all the beautiful people who are part of that campus and you're wondering how you fit in. Maybe you're feeling alone yourself. It's a great moment to say, Lord, I'm here because I prayed and I felt led to come and I'm giving you praise today. Somebody in this room is in New Orleans and you believe you are here by divine leadership that God brought you here. But it's been a more difficult journey maybe than you ever imagined it would. And the call today is in this journey, trust him and give him praise. And in your praise, acknowledge God as God and Lord over all. And that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows the end from the beginning. This journey, unknown to us, as the children sang, is known to him. Praise confesses the unfailing love of God. In fact, the scripture says that we discover in difficult times how deeply and much God loves us. Let the morning bring my word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. I trust in your unfailing love is a quote from that psalm I mentioned. Psalm 13 that begins with, Will you forget me forever? How long, O oh Lord, am I going to be in this difficult place? And he says in verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. Praise be to the Lord. For he showed me, listen to this, he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. He showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. Sometimes people get in trouble and pain comes into their lives and they begin to wonder if God loves them. Does God really love me? Why is he beating up on me? Does God care about me? Praise is your confession of the unfailing love of God, that God's love never stops, and you can count on it every day. It's the confession that God's love is the center of the universe, not my pain. And that God's love is the heart of truth, 
And his unfailing love is the truth about my situation, even though I'm hurting, even though I'm confused or alone. When I praise God, I am putting love in the middle of my world, my brain, my heart, right where it needs to be and ought to be because God is love and he's the creator. Amen? All right, so what's the middle of the world? What's the middle of the universe? It's our loving God whose love never fails. That's the center. That's the foundation. That's the pillar that never moves. The foundation that never shakes. God's unfailing love made known to us most powerfully when he sent his son to die upon the cross for our sin, which is how I responded to the child who said, why would Jesus die for me? And the only answer is because he loves you. Because he loves you. He loves us in a way we cannot still understand, even after years of experience it, knowing it, thinking about it. His love passes all understanding. Love is your confession of God's, or praise is your confession of God's unfailing love, and praise celebrates God's presence in your life. It brings that presence close. He inhabits those praises of his people. He lives in them, and when you, in your trouble, in your sorrow, in your confusion, when you give God praise, it brings him near. There's something about praising him that changes the spirit and the heart, changes the ambiance of your circumstances. It changes the atmosphere in the room and the atmosphere in, within your head and your, your life. To give God praise is to celebrate his presence. And we need to do it. Day by day as an exercise of heart, lifting the praise so that joy runs through our lives even when troubles come even when circumstances are difficult the joy of the lord remains our strength where's that joy come from it comes from the god who loves us and his love never fails who's in control of this world whose providential care over me is unquestioned that's where the joy comes from Little Philip Bliss, he grew up without shoes. He had two sisters. His dad, Isaac, was always poor. Little Philip was born in a log cabin in northern Pennsylvania in 1838. His dad worked all day. Before he left for work, he read the scriptures and prayed, and he sang. And little Philip heard him sing. He loved to hear his father sing. When he came back from a long day's work, before he went to bed, his father Isaac would read the scriptures and pray and sing. And even as a little boy, Philip began to sing with his dad. According to Philip's own testimony, he left home at age 11 to go into the world and make a living. Yeah, 
11 years old. His sister said he was barefooted and everything Philip took from the house the day he left, he wrapped in a handkerchief. At 11 years old, he left there to go to the timber camps and then to the sawmill. And to this place and another, hard labor for six years. That was the story of little Philip's life. And as he went along, if he had any opportunity, he went to school. He learned enough by the time he was 18 where they made him a teacher. And then a teacher of music. There are seven songs in our hymnal that little Philip wrote. He wrote the tune. For the song that Horatio Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul. They say when the survivors of the Titanic hit the oars to pull away from the sinking ship, they sang little Philip's song, pulled toward the shore. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Philip Bliss wrote that song. And you've sung others that he wrote. He rose from his childhood of poverty and deprivation to become one of the great gospel writers and singers of his day. He was on his way to see D.L. Moody with his bride. They had two boys they left behind. And on that train ride, they went across a trestle over a river, and the trestle gave way. And six passenger cars full of people plunged into that river that day. 160 people were on that train. 59 of them survived. Of those 101 that went into that ravine, some died at impact. Others died by the fires that consumed that train when it crashed. Those who survived the fires, they said, drowned in the water of the river. And those who survived the fire and the water died of exposure in the blazing, blowing blizzard. Philip survived the initial crash and realized that his wife was trapped in a burning car. He went in to save her. They never found their bodies. He was 38 years old. One of the many hymn books he wrote, he simply called The Joy. 
He's a boy who grew up in poverty we cannot imagine, who left his home barefoot at 11 years old with everything he owned in a napkin. And yet he knew how to give God praise in a way that has stirred the world. Praise acknowledges the pain but does not surrender to it. It surrenders to the will of God. It confesses God's unfailing love. It celebrates his presence even in the most difficult times of life. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, I pray for the brother or sister in this room who's going through the most difficult time, who's at their lowest point. They despair that they'll ever know joy again. God, I pray for that one. I pray that you will renew praise in his heart, in her heart, that you will help them look up in the midst of the trouble and see your face, that they will know in the valley of the shadow that you are there, that you never leave them or forsake them. God, that you could put a praise on their lips for your sovereign control, your unfailing love, your purpose in their life. God, that you might rescue us from the mire of our trouble and pain and put our feet upon the rock of your unfailing love. So, Lord, do your work in us by your Holy Spirit. Retune the instrument of our heart so that we might give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.